Ladies and gentlemen, whether you like it or not, Hedvig! Looks like we've got some sugar daddies in the house. We are back once again with Hedvig, Inch by Angry Inch, the podcast where we analyse and tear down the movie masterpiece Hedvig and the Angry Inch, chapter by chapter. I am your host, John. Hello, once again. And I am joined by two very, very special guests. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Hello, uh, my name is Licorice Black, and I'm joined by... Uh, my name is Cheddar Gorgeous. <laughs> hey, you've uh, you've answered my SOS call. I feel like it was our very sort of formal approach. It was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to let people know, I am Licorice Black's drag mother. Mummy dearest. Mummy dearest. That's a whole oh. podcast. You've got an intergenerational drag perspective on the movie today. Yeah, and I didn't think about this, but there is an important uh, little bit at the end here with, with a mother. Well, there's also, I, I don't want you making any references to me being the daddy in this particular. <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, when you said we've got some sugar daddies in the house tonight, I did take that. Uh, as a <laughs> if the shoe fits, <laughs> <laughs> there's no smoke without fire. You can fit all the roles you desire. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> but uh, yes, this is uh, chapter eight which has a very long title on the on the Blu-ray. It is titled Bilge Waters, Miami Beach, Sugar Daddy. I don't know why they do that on the Blu-ray. I don't think they do it on the DVD. They specify which Bilge Waters they are at, which one they're doing the gig in. Mm. Kind of fun that they kind of just follow. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and like when you think about how it worked with the stage show, right, it makes it easy for you same set every time right? yeah. to show the different restaurants. That blew my mind when I watched the extras for the first time and I was like, wait, this is the same place every time? Yeah. <laughs> I just love the way that, yeah, they rearranged the furniture in the real restaurant and just like, just shoot, just shoot a different wall. No one will know. There's something about like though those like sort of um, end of the nineties, early two thousand films, mm. especially like this sort of like kind of queer film where it is a bit sort of like, you know, budget was probably very restrained and mm. kind of just didn't like make doing and being a bit creative with the way that they made the film in the same way that theater kind of works and you have to make do and yeah. you know kind of try and do what you can with what you've got around you and i love the idea that they were just like right we can't afford to like travel to film all these different locations so we're just doing one location and i don't know i suppose it kind of makes it like familiar it being in the same location and a bit sort of monotonous because yes. like which they well, all look the same exactly don't they? like starbucks and mcdonald's it all has exactly. they have slight variations but they and all look the same it epitomizes that style of restaurant in oh, the okay. state right so you know, like that kind of like weird Wendy's. local yeah but it's like a localist brand but not local because it's actually it's you know it's designed to look like a local little mom and pop's restaurant but actually it's not it's a chain restaurant and it just the fact that you do see those kind of places all over the states and they all have that same energy with a slight different twist yeah. which which is it's sort of it sets the scene for the kind of performers they are, doesn't it? You know what I mean? And the kind of situation that they're in and thrown together in. Well, I had some guests on from America and they asked me, 
Like, what's what's your version of this restaurant in the UK? And I, I did actually struggle on the spot to come up with something similar. Is Little Chef still a thing? I'm just old. Little Chef yeah. is what I would say. Do you not even know what that is? Yeah, Little Chef. I mean, I've only been to it, like, twice at service stations. <laughs> I just have bad memories of a Little Chef. Um, yeah, we don't really have that same culture, though, do we? We don't have that same, like, diner culture, which, like, when we've been to America, like, we quite enjoy it after, you know, going to a diner after the club and stuff, after the club. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, they cause they close so early. Like, they close at, like, 1 or 2 o'clock. And that's usually just when I'm waking up. So, um, I, yeah, we've always thought it'd be nice to have a bit of that sort of, like, late night kind of going to a place and you know maybe maybe that will happen i was gonna say it's not like um when here when they try and do it it always feels kind of tacky and stuff but i guess it does feel tacky anyway that's kind of the point it's it's i think that that element of the movie makes it kind of timeless in some ways Mm. because even though there are aspects of it that hark back to this really nostalgic 90s american culture those restaurants haven't changed Mm. so actually in some respects they by being set there they that you know hedwig's band kind of stays in this little almost time pocket that doesn't ever change and doesn't have to change Mm. and i think in that that to me is probably one of the one of the devices it uses that, that makes it so relatable still today, those kind of small things, because you can't place it setting-wise. Yeah, yeah. And I think you could also say, you know, Hedwig themselves, they're kind of stuck in a rut. They're not moving on with their life. They're not advancing in their career, in their personal life. They're stuck in the same situation as these restaurants and towns. Well, in the same fantasy of America, mm-hmm. right, which yeah. is the thing Hedwig was stuck in. Yeah, like the American dream. Which, like, she she kind of talked about that in, in like in this in this song. Yeah. Ooh, what a link! <laughs> oh, well done. <laughs> um, like, I can't I can't remember the exact lyrics, but it's like um, it's where she's saying like um, whiskey and cigarettes. Um, whiskey and French cigarettes, cigarettes. a motorbike, high speed jets. That's black underwear, um, jeans. I think some of the ones. So it's like all these like classic American Bring things. Me Saucy blue jeans and that black designer underwear. Yeah. There you go. You just get Cheddar to sing the entire song. Dress up like a disco dancing <laughs> That's the rest of the episode now. We're just going to do that. <laughs> I could do the entire thing, you know. Sorry, Cheddar. Entire film. <laughs> entire film. Every word, darling. Every, every, word. every single word. Same inflection and everything. <laughs> What's the first word in it? Come on. Oh, oh God. God. Don't put anyone on the spot. I, do you know what? I only just I rewatched it like uh, two hours ago. and Don't um, you know me, Kansas City? I can remember a sentence, but I can't remember the exact word. Oh. It is it is interesting the way uh, the stage show always starts with different words. It always starts with whether you like it or not, Hedvig. Mm. I think my one of my favorite lines is the, I know it's just like a classic and it's, it kind of, is like such a kind of a draggy thing to like a drag host thing to do is the lines where she's um I am barely standing before you. Yes. This slip um, of a girly boy from thing. communist days Berlin. Barely standing before you. Like I kind of feel a very a big affinity with that mm. sort of phrase. Oh, they're the best bits. And you can tell that John Cameron Mitchell really honed the character in clubs, like drag clubs and things. Yeah. Because it's that humour, you're right. And it's that um, internationally ignored musician. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also, the well, you, you talked about the 
fantasy of America and whatnot. And when I first heard the song, this was my least favorite song, right? But just because the the musical style, because I didn't quite get what they were going for. It's it's trying to sell that kind of Americana. It's got to be this kind of genre. It's got to be country. Yeah, it's very country. Yeah, yeah. Over time, it's become one of my favorites now, I think. Well, there's so many different versions of it because I was kind of like, I've talked to you the other day once about like the, the different like interpretations of this song mm. and it kind of gives a different feeling to each version. So I heard like the John Cameron Mitchell on stage version and then I heard the film version and then obviously there's the stage show again whilst it's kind of like done its revival yeah. where the um, like the revival one's a bit more rocky and a bit more like a bit more punky which kind of fits in with the rest of the film a little bit yeah yeah whereas in the film it's really played down this is how i feel anyway i feel like it's really played down and it's like it's sort of like midway in the film and you can kind of you really get the feeling that hedwig is just kind of just performing the song but like really reluctantly and kind of just sort of a bit like really over it and kind of doesn't want to even be there Mm. I have this total feeling that she's just a bit sort of like, because it's like really kind of, I don't know, it's just because it's so much slower and country than the other versions. Because it's just sort of like, she's kind of like, even just the performative way she's doing it, she's kind of just like going round and like, isn't really giving her all. She's smiling. It's one of the few numbers where she actually feigns chirpiness. (laughs) And definitely it's feigned, right? It's definitely feigned, but she's feigning. She's doing camp top chirpiness with the with the punters and i think it occupies because it's i think it's not actually one of my favorite ones in the movie either but it tends to be one of the favorites that people perform from it because it's cheeky it has that reference to sugar daddies yeah. it's easy yeah. to work a number right i think the song is like that but i feel the way she kind of like she lounges around and it's not it's not like she's like the rest of the, the other songs that she does in the in the um, restaurants always like really like oh punk and heavy and have like a lot of motion whereas this one she's just sort of like she's almost just kind of like just kind of getting from bit to bit and like i see her as faking it definitely yeah i see totally as being faked but it's her pretending to be the happy girl right and 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 i think it has like a real and even down to when um phyllis you know phyllis is there clapping along oh yeah yeah that's the energy of this of this song it's like, come on, guys, have fun. I love Phyllis trying to force people into enjoying it. <laughs> isn't it like a table of rabbis or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Jewish restaurant, isn't it? The one that she does sugar daddy in. This one goes down quite well, though. Like uh, a lot of the shows they perform, the crowd generally aren't feeling it. They don't want them there. They just want to eat their food. These guys seem relatively like, oh, this is okay. What gets me about this number, though, is that doesn't it go directly from sugar daddy straight into angry inch inch, and then straight into wig in a box so it's literally a a trio of songs yeah yeah very very small bits of of um kind of narrative put into them that aren't kind of just actually part of the songs um and i think it's hard to consider sugar daddy without those two other elements because sugar daddy's the beginning of the story Mm -hmm. um Angry Inch is the middle of the story, and Wig in a Box is the end of that story. So I, I almost tr- see them, I, I, and you know, you can play them out as one number. 
Ooh, oh, that would be great, actually. Yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it. You, you do get a proper beginning, middle, and end all in one little burst. Yeah, like I, I have the um, soundtrack on my Spotify, so I hear the songs like without the middle without bits. The okay. Even though, obviously, you know you can hear it in your head, the middle bits, yeah. but like it's interesting hearing them just go bum, bum, bum. There's barely any, but there's barely yeah. any. In fact, I don't think there is any. So I'm thinking of the end of Sugar Daddy... She just, um, when she talks, it's like the scenes where it's, um, she's having, so why she has to get, leave a piece behind. Yes, and, yes. I've always thought so, Lucia. <laughs> free one must give up a little part of oneself. <laughs> it's French. <laughs> well, it's a little bit of everything because the actress is Russian. The, um, the, that, that, is, that is done within the instrumental, right? Yeah. So that I don't think the music ever ends and i know just the doctor to do it <laughs> german then yeah uh, but because it screams into angry inch just yeah. like straight from right in before sugar day ends mm. and then in angry inch she drops into that chair in the trailer park and it goes straight into um wig in a box yeah all you get is a couple of seconds of uh, watching the news mm. and, then, and then straight into that you kind of you, like you're saying that you're getting those changes so that's like that's how i feel that where she's kind of just really kind of like almost ready to drop out in the sugar daddy one. Then she just like gets this burst of like energy and like passion and anger. Yeah. So it's like these two different modes. Do you feel that that's because of the genre of song or is it because of Hedvig being bored of doing it and past it? Or also could it be because of the topic of the song? Maybe they just, they don't want to talk about this. Uh, I think with its placement of sort of being sort of mid kind of early midway, I feel like it's sort of like they've been on the road for ages and she's been doing this same set of numbers each time. And I feel like that's sort of her like crowd pleasery one in the sense of like, it's not confrontist. It's not like it was saying like the customers, the customers are enjoying it. It's like probably her least favorite one to do because it's not her. It's not, you know, it's not like sort of in your face enough. It's sort of the most, um, it's the most palatable to a non-queer audience. Yeah. And that's why it goes down quite well. But I, I still think she looks like a drag queen enjoying the show. Like I still, I get, I get that it's kind of, it's OTT, but she still seems, it seems to me like it plays that part of, because Sugar Daddy is a song about aspiration and hope, right? Through really, uh, if you like, bad methods. Um, and then it goes into that. So I almost see it as moving from this kind of weird delusional hope to anger to like sorrow, you know, because, well, for the beginning, reemerges into hope, doesn't it? At the end of Wig in a Box. It's actually like, I know, like you, it was never my favorite part of the movie, but certainly if you consider it part of that triptych, it's the transformative moment of the movie. Ah, the recreation, yes. Because that's where we start to, from that point, we move on to talking about Tommy. And it's also the point where you understand the title. This is the beginning of the real story that you've come to come to watch. It's that, it's that mind drive. And I love it when I watch it with other people for angry inch <laughs> when you move into it. And you're like, they haven't really taken any notice of the title. No. And then all of a sudden, they hear that song and they go, oh, mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> the penny drop. That's what it is. <laughs> Well, how do you both um, see the actual relationship with Luther? Because obviously that's what this song is is describing. Um, do you think it's... Do you think he is setting out 
to be, you know, to screw them around and mess them about and and be, you know, evil for want of a better word? Or do you think he's quite sincere? Because I know he's he's sort of luring them with luxury and gifts and and whatnot, but I don't know. He doesn't seem to be doing it in a controlling way. If you listen to the words, it's because uh, who really has the power? The lyric is the thrill of control. Um, I got plenty to say. On this one. <laughs> See, she's like a wind-up clock. <laughs> <laughs> I have to let other people speak yeah. first. Yeah. So it's the thing we've been working on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, obviously, you know, you've got the title of you know Sugar Daddy, and the generic thing of a sugar daddy is, you know, the is the sugar daddy in control or is the person being taken care of in control Ah. that is the question but you know because there's a there's a sort of an exchange of you know things where it's you know he's providing the luxuries and he's getting to be with this like sort of quite in some respects when like thinking about it nowadays kind of going like He's quite young, I suppose. He's quite a bit sugar daddy, isn't he? No, no, no. I mean, um, Hedvig. Oh, Hedvig. How old, how old is Hedvig meant to oh, be? Oh, no, he's, in, he's meant to be in his um, early, late 20s. Oh, okay, okay. All right, so I was thinking... I just that. delivered a brilliant speech. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Still, you assume that, you know, if they have a sugar daddy, I don't know, in your mind, they're just, they're younger. Yeah. Different time, though. Because mm. he's describing before mm. the fall of the, the war. Mm-hmm. And there is that control thing of like, you know, obviously when it gets to the point where, you know, so um, they've kind of built up this relationship um, through sweets, through confectioneries and other luxurious items. Mm. Um, he's clearly like smuggling through to Hedwig to kind of give him his like, you know, almost like an addiction. Like he's got an addiction to the American culture, oh, yeah. to, um, you know, to the West. Um, so he's like, he's basically his dealer. Like, yeah. but also to power, and yeah. that's that's what he's 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 enticing him with the prospect of power. So that obviously the, the the candy becomes a metaphor for the the luxury goods, but also as as Hedwig says, the taste of power in his mouth. So the idea that he somehow controls this large man. But I I, I truly believe that in those scenarios, whether it's sugar daddies, whether it's punters, whether it's clients, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, in in sex work scenarios or in sugar daddy scenarios, I'll tell you who has the power. The sugar daddy has the power, and that's that's because once the allure is that you you have control over this person, or you might be able to um, change this person's mind or get this person to do stuff for you. Ultimately, they can cut you off whenever they want. Yes, like a dealer, like a dealer, exactly. And that's the thing. They can cut you off whenever they want. They ultimately hold the power because they hold the capital. And that's what's really going on here. And their relationship they're describing in that just shows that. Because that's what happens to Hedwig. When Hedwig no longer resembles the, the gorgeous young boy, ultimately, that he did want, yeah. Hedwig's just left for the dust, regardless of what Hedwig sacrificed. Well, Hedwig's just tossed aside. Tossed aside. Oh. Like an old week. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way of putting it because they they do ultimately have the power the the sugar daddy in this case because they they can cut them off and in a way they're playing along it's like it's like role play almost like oh I'll let you think you have this power it's it's part of the fun and games well I also don't think it's meant to be conscious though and I actually think sometimes people are in those scenarios mm. where they fulfill the roles that they're playing with one another 
with neither of them really understanding who's in control and what's going on. Yeah. One of the big things that, that gets me is the, the uh, and you see it in kind of sugar daddy and sugar baby relationships, is the idea of obligation mm. and who's obliged to who. And the, how the receiving of gifts and how the receiving of things makes you feel like you owe somebody something, yeah. which is very much why Hedwig agrees to undergo the surgery. He loves me, Mama. He wants to take care of me. Yeah, and he's already done so much. I don't, I don't feel like she does it for him, though. She does it for herself. Because, yeah, because yeah, he's basically her ticket out of there. Like, she wants to get as far west as possible. And, like, she she's, like, um, you know, we talk about his power thing. Like, she's using him because I don't think she genuinely really cares about him. Oh, this is new. Okay. it the, the man doesn't matter. It's what they were providing. Yeah. You know, it could have been any person providing the same things of, you know, the sweets and the, you know, the cloves and the, you know, whatever other things. And then, obviously, the ticket to freedom. And then obviously she, you know, she by any means would do it to get out of there. And obviously losing her genitalia was one of them. So do you think that there's no love either way then? They're kind of both using each other. I think it's a purely transactional relationship. Sort of, you know, I think, I think it's really hard to talk about that relationship in the context of love because it's bound up with fantasy. Yeah. You know, with these peculiar fantasies they project onto one another and power. Mm. He's also, though, like, he's also just himself is an embodiment of America itself anyway, because it's that sort of thing of, like, America has a vision of itself. It's very sort of, um, you know, Team America. Is it called, it's called Team America? Um, it's very that sort of, you know, we're the saviors and the, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're here that, you know, the world needs us and like, actually, you know, you're not really. And you kind of have this vision of that you're the ones to do it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he kind of represents that sort of thing of like this false, false idea of what you're going to get out of it. It's like, you know, America invades everywhere and kind of goes like, we're trying to help them, but then ends up leaving them in pretty much a like, terrible stage which is literally what happens in this yeah now it's interesting you brought that up because in the i mean you you won't have heard it it's not out but in my last episode i was talking to clarice lockery of the uh, the independent and she was saying well we both were sort of having a conversation about how uh, in a way you could argue we're not we're not arguing this but you could argue that luther you, you could make a case that he's not real that he's a, a fantasy, he's a figment, he's a, he's an uh, he represents something, a concept. He represents the rescuer. Yes, yeah, which has been manifested into a real thing, obviously. Well, it's, it is a perfect drama triangle, you know, the, the superego and the um, what's the other one? Ego. And I know. So res- I'm, I'm thinking. Give me I'm I thinking nearly said rescuer. white savior, and then I remember. The actor is definitely not white. There's one case ah, but- where it isn't. <laughs> American say, yeah, the American not, saviour figure. The American saviour. <laughs> um, and that, that's the kind of, yeah, and the image of capitalism in some ways. Yeah, yeah he is the, the, the embodiment of capitalism. Yeah. And, you know, that it is, um, you know, on the other hand, his, the head of his mum is the embodiment of communism. Mm. She, she isn't really, um, the mum is not a true believer. But, well, 
I, I, so I, I never really thought about the mum and Hedwig connection until actually I listened to one of your episodes. Oh. Yeah. Long time listener, first time um, talk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, thank you. You're very welcome. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. about the mum. Oh, the mum. Yeah, so I never really noticed before, and this plays in with what you said with the connection later on, where she's, uh, Hedwig's looking at a postcard from the mother. Yes. And, you know, like, and she's gone even, like, you said, yeah, you say in a previous episode how she's gone even further east. Mm. You know, so it's like these two, these two different yeah, things. Free. So the, the, the significance of Yugoslavia is that she goes to, um, it is Yugoslavia, isn't it? It is, yes. Yeah, so she goes to sunny Yugoslavia. Um, after the fall of the Soviet Union. So uh, she ends up being free. And the entire angle of that is that the mum got free without sacrificing anything. Yeah. And the people of Berlin, you know, are patient people and good things come to those who wait. But Hedwig was impatient mm. and wanted it now. And so therefore Hedwig has to blame herself mm. for that shit. Well, I, I will get to that at some point, obviously, in that episode, but I'll, I'll, I'll hint at it now, listeners. I... I think that Hedvig, I don't blame them, right? They wanted it now. They wanted it, you could say, quick and easy. But at the same time, in their mind, it was never going to happen. Like, they they were never going to be free. This government change, this collapse, that was a fantasy. So, you know, in a world where they think, I have to take this one opportunity, I, I don't blame them. Mm. Oh yeah, I don't. And by the, I'm, I think Hedwig blames herself. I don't yeah, blame her. Yeah. You know, and I, I think I, if you look at the Luther situation, Luther totally, in my opinion, exploited that dream of Hedwig's mm. to get what he wanted. Um, and I, I do see, and and the way that I balance that out is because yes, you can argue um, that. Uh, Hedwig wanted it or that Hedwig was playing Luther as much as Luther was playing Hedwig or there was no love involved. When it gets down to the end of that transaction, who's lost? Hedwig lost. Mm. Right? Hedwig lost a lot. Everything. Hope, family, their uh, sense of gender identity was confused. They uh, were mutilated. Who lost? And what did Luther lose? Yeah, Hedwig is almost lost themselves like totally they have to rebuild themselves from scratch which we will get to <laughs> on a lighter note yeah. <laughs> we could we can keep it light as well here you know um hedwig looks amazing i think in this song i'm the one that dresses up very dark moody but i'm, I'm like la 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 one <laughs> and fluffy and Ted is actually the dark one it is a song so sugar mm-hmm. daddy is and that's that's why i said a lot of drag queens they perform it and it's i perform it yeah it's I've fun it's a lot it says licorice in it so i had to perform yeah it. <laughs> when i asked you on and gave you this uh episode that was a complete coincidence and it only dawned on me yesterday i was like wait a minute i should have pretended it was deliberate and i'm a genius but uh yeah. no, far from it uh, one of, i just thought i mentioned that um, so one of the my favorite bits is where you know, the scene just leading up into... Show, is he even leading up into, or is it just after where they've got the gummy bears and yeah. Luther, like, puts these gummy bears on his tongue? And it's almost like... It's like... Yeah, it's a bit grotesque, almost. Because oh, it's just... Yeah, it's meant it's to be like, Yeah. It's just this sort of, like... It's something that is so innocent and so, like, mundane as a gummy bear, but has this really sinister and, like... Whoa. It's just, like... It, it kind of creeps me out, and I love sweets. 
but like just seeing that gunk on the tongue, it just kind of makes you go, like, ooh. It, it creeped me out that he was carrying around a whole family-sized bag of sweets for no reason. What was he? What was he doing with them at all times? Are you not constant? I always have a family bag of sweets in my bag. You know, you never, you never know when you're going to need like sweets to survive on. You know, you could get lost in the wilderness. Oh, that's true. But I would have to double check anyway. Like if someone presented them to me, I'd be like, are they vegetarian? I'm not like the child catcher. What do you think? <laughs> what do you think, Licorice, of sugar daddy culture? Sugar daddy culture. I think that's that... not a drag queen name, by the way. We are talking about <laughs> sugar. Daddy. Um, I don't know. I, I'm babies. just. Uh, I'm very sad that I'm too old now to yeah, even have a to have a sugar daddy. Really, <laughs> yeah. you know, I've, I've missed my chance. You know. What were you doing with your time? And I'm I'm too poor to be yeah. a sugar daddy, and I don't I don't wouldn't want to be anyway. No. I'm far too I'm far too selfish for that life. You know, taking care of someone else. It's too much hassle no. taking care of yourself, isn't it? Hard work. You don't understand. It's hard work. <laughs> I'm, I'm my own sugar daddy. Actually, I feel like <laughs> I feel like licorice is the sugar daddy to me. Or is it the way around? The other way around. So now this is a coincidence as well, is my um, muggle name, which I never say out loud. I'll say it for you, just because it's just you, me, and Cheddar. It's um, no one else listening. Uh, <laughs> Did you see that? That was a read. That was such a read. She was like, nobody else is going to listen to your podcast. That's not what I said. It's sarcastic. Um, um, my, name, my name's John. Uh, my muggle name is John. Mm. So um, John takes care of licorice because uh. she doesn't actually earn any money because she doesn't really do any work. So <laughs> that's my that's my sugar daddy relationship. It's and taking care of my other ego. That's a healthy way to look at it, I think. Yeah. I, I hate the terminology, and it's, it's used even more and more nowadays, isn't it? Like, da, da, daddy play. And, hey, daddy. And sugar babies. <laughs> all that kind of people are identifying as sugar babies. In the past, there was only sugar daddies, and now people identify actively as sugar babies. And um, I, I hate the terminology just because it juvenilizes people. Um but at the same time, I like to date people of all ages, you know, all, all ages, you know, when, within a certain boundary, obviously. <laughs> yes. um, but so I'm kind of fine with the idea of uh, relationships between older and younger people. But just it's a weird terminology, I think. Yeah, it's, a, it's an odd terminology and it's weird to sort of assume these very specific roles that are like, I, I am the baby. I don't know. That just that's, yeah. doesn't sit right with me. Well, and it's, it, it does create, uh, it sets up a power dynamic in a relationship. And I think relationships can involve all kinds of power dynamics, different, and both, both, both in terms of finances, but also in terms of care and in terms of love, mm. right? And in the idea of who is looking after who emotionally. And I think it's really, it gets us to think about relationships in, in a way that ultimately doesn't end up being nice for both people involved because at one point or the other, people get annoyed. Do you think it's maybe born out of, um, like, gay culture, maybe? So the whole sugar daddy thing. Well, when you think about it, so um, obviously before, uh, like, homosexual was legal, Mm. that sounded very formal, Um, (laughs) before the homosexuals were legal, so, you know, you look at sort of, like, the men and women dynamics in, say, pre-50s, you know, women were still classed, like as you know the housewife mm-hmm. and you know the person to stay at home so when you know sort of like slowly as like you know like gay people are given like a little bit more leeway 
like the the place that was around it was still you know the man and woman thing oh definitely you reckon they were trying to replicate that i don't know because no because i think i think sugar daddies and sugar daddies existed for straight people right like you know you had straight sugar daddy relationships happening yeah yeah they don't generally like specify and put a label on it though I don't yeah. think I think I think both in heterosexual and homosexuals homosexuals gay people's lives um I think it probably represents a dynamic that's very gendered in terms of the idea that there would be uh, and very binarily gendered mm. the idea that would be one who was it's a binary based on age right so the idea that one requires looking after and one is the is the adult the unfortunate metaphorical model for that is parenting and I think the real that that's where it becomes horrible because when you really start to look into it, you go that dynamic's actually a parody yeah. of childhood sexual abuse. Yeah, which is not cute. Sorry, you wanted to keep it light. <laughs> <laughs> it's the light episode. It's called guys. Sugar Daddy <laughs> because it is the funnest song, yeah, and it's yeah. everyone's because it's fun. Sugar Daddy. It's about yeah. sweets and shagging an older man, but in reality, it's Don't. not. Well, that that's what's so good about it, though, when you actually read into it a little more and you don't just take it at face value. It, The undercurrent of it is quite dark, actually. And then when you know where it, where it goes, where this relationship ends up, it even more retrospectively makes it kind of like unsettling. You're the listeners as you're getting further on. Keep it all light. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I was saying before, you know, this is the most palatable of songs in its styling and the you know the lyrics and stuff. But when you, like you said, when you dig down, it's it's got it's darker under the surface. Yeah. It's like you know, like sugar and sweets and stuff. You know, it's all light. You know, it's all bubbly and colourful. But deep down, like it's gonna like you know rot your teeth and like you know make you fat. Could give you a <laughs> cavity. Oh yeah. Oh, how, how did it go exactly? It says, I bet you could... Well, first they say, uh, you could give me a cavity, honey, and kick that guy's hat off, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. I love that. I could totally picture that in a small theatre show. Very Mae West. Yeah. Like, come up and sing me some time. <laughs> <laughs> and then they say, uh, I bet you could fill that cavity, sweetie, which is which is funny as well. They're even sort of uh, jokingly flirting with this older older lady. How, how have we not? How have we got this far? Not mentioned. It's a car wash, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, that is one of the funniest things. I'm I'm currently like making an outfit with fringe on for a specific out um, for a specific evening, and literally the whole time I'm making it, I'm just like, it's a car wash. <laughs> like, You're gonna Jimmy have to stop a... yourself from doing this motion. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say that I pro- I think I've performed different songs and done the car wash. Um, on people, no, that sounds wrong. <laughs> I've done the thing where I've been like, I've kind of like been in a tasseled dress and kind of done the car wash sort of motion. <laughs> I don't know how to make this sound not rude. <laughs> you, could, you could still do that. It's not necessarily rude. It's cheeky. It's cheeky, exactly. That's what. <laughs> it's quite British, actually. I think. I love yeah. the um, the guy that she does the car wash motion to. Obviously, ends up joining her groupies yeah, yeah. which because he appears in a later song doesn't he wearing the hedwig wig do they yep i never <laughs> noticed that every gig they do they pick up one or two new people if you notice it starts building it just you know kind of snowballs yeah. like i love the little i know it's off topic but um i love the little scene where she's kind of holding court and yeah. she's wearing 
big wig and like, are they like lame bins or they're something? They're on their like, tires. That's it, tires. Classic. Uh, about Tommy Narcissus. Yeah, and she's like, it, it kind of, it literally reminds me of those sort of evenings and we've, I think we've all had them, you know, where somebody ends up holding court at, like who's a bit drunk and like they're literally telling the stories and, yeah. you know, telling us everyone how it is. Lipstick smeared across yeah. the face. And I'll tell you another thing about that <laughs> anaphylactic. <laughs> oh. Tommy Speck. Yeah. At this point. And that's, that's straight after sh- uh, the that, the end of that triptych, isn't it? Straight after Wigan Box. Yeah, it's like the full stop. I knew, yeah. it, was, I knew it was, like, close. I can't remember which end it went to. Yeah, I have a very, I have a, like a very thing about time. Like I can't put things in a linear. I kind of see everything a bit jumbled up. <laughs> You're Quentin Tarantino, yes. Uh... Yes, very Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino masquerading as Quentin Christie. Ah. <laughs> the narrative equivalent of the shuffle button. <laughs> That's all it is, isn't it? I mean, there's an element of it to me, just like you've got a bunch of nice songs, you put them on shuffle. You've got a Quentin Tarantino film. Basically, basically. And you know what? Much like a lot of Tarantino, I'm not going to... I like some of them. I dislike some of them. But much much like him, right? I liked shuffling my music when I was younger. <laughs> now that I'm older, I don't, I don't like shuffling the music. I, I like... I'm sad. I put a record on. I'm old school now. Appreciate the larger, longer narrative of the piece. Exactly, exactly. I like to listen to the... As one piece, a suite... <laughs> well, I think jump, jumbling, I don't know, let's call it juxta, more exciting juxtaposition can can really fuel a narrative, I think, uh, which is what it does really beautifully in Hedwig, yes. right? Yes. I'll pull it back to that. Whereas when you look at, I think sometimes Quentin Tarantino just uses big, bold devices because it gets people through the movie, um, whereas actually a really nuanced film is where they do some random juxtaposition mm. in a way that has real narrative resonance and, and tells the story through the form that you're telling yeah. it. Yeah, and I, I like the way we kind of get Hedwig's story in bits and pieces. I, I think that's more interesting to me. Like, It's like someone telling you a tale. They might tell you some of it and then you go yeah. away, you don't see them for a few weeks or something and then they, they fill you in with a bit more information when they get to trust you a little more. It's like Hedwig is trusting us. It's yeah, it's slowly getting dribs and drabs, and also it's kind of um, a bit like a crime sort of one, like a murder one, where the picture's been built yeah. as to why this person is like, is why they are like they are, you know, like why they have outbursts, like you know, shouting at somebody for putting the bra in the dryer, <laughs> or you know, just general like her general demeanor is slowly unveiled as you realise, like she's just had like the hardest, most like everyone around her has so in some way abused her. Whether it be like you know her mum physically, no her dad, her dad or her mum physically abused, oh, the dad, her. Yeah. 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 Sexually, sexually abused. Yeah. His mother, his and mother was emotionally abusive and physically. And physically. Um, you know, Luther he kind of leaves us. That's another kind of emotional um, abuse. And she's mutilated. By and mutilated. And then Tommy obviously steals everything. So yeah. she's just, you know, you can understand why she becomes this, like, really just Ooh. torn down person that just, like, you know, who just kind of has come to this, like, side of the world to have, to be a pop star and wants to be big and fabulous. But actually, everything's made her go, you know, end Bitter. up in this ball of anger. Bitter, angry. Yeah. Like, and that's that's the thing. And, and what is interesting and what we haven't touched on mm. is 
Although I suppose no, it's a very different relationship she has with a younger person. Ah, yeah. With Tommy, who is 17 at the time when they meet, which at that time would have been illegal in the States. And the bath scene. You know, that bath scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's certainly one way to start your relationship. Right. And so it's, an, it's on one level an inappropriate relationship, but one in which Hedwig is the one who gives love and is then subsequently exploited again and rejected again. Um, there's something very, like, because she's so angry, you can't ever see her as a victim. But she's continually actually always ending up in this role as the victim. Oh, totally. Like, I actually brought that up when I was defending. Well, not defend. I don't know. I can't condone it, right? But I was defending <laughs> Hedvig's treatment of Yitzhak to a point. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I said, like, well, Hedvig, have they had any positive relationship ever no. before this? Like, Yitzhak might be good for them. It turns out not. But, you know, they, they could be. But what does Hedvig know about how to be in a relationship, really? She doesn't know any better, almost. I don't, I don't know whether that's an excuse. But it's that sort of, it's kind of, you know, like you're saying, it's, it's kind of almost like what happens to people who've been abused. Like, they yeah. kind of, not in a, like you said, it's not defensive of, of the action, but it's an understanding of how people can be created. You can see how it happened, yeah. She does know better, and you know that she knows better because that's the conclusion of the film. Oh, she yeah. knows better, and she knows that it is better to give love, even if you risk being hurt. But do you need to go on this journey to uncover that? Hmm. I don't know. I think she, I think uh, I think we're meant to see her maybe as as a damaged person, but I don't think I don't know. I don't. I I think we are meant to look at her unsympathetically when it comes to Yitzhak. Have you seen the deleted scenes as well? Yeah, they make it somewhat worse, especially when they decide, like, okay, Yitzhak, you're coming with me on the one condition that you can never wear a wig again. Yes. That's very controlling. It's like, you will be the way I want you to be. Yeah, well, you won't be the star. Yes, you will not be the star. Well, you literally see that in the first song. You will not be the star. You can't outsing me. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, and that is, I think that just reveals so much, so much about the pettiness of Hedwig, if you like, and how, and I'm not saying it's, I, I think it's complex. It's not whether she's a bad guy or a good guy, mm-hmm. right? Because actually people can sometimes do things that make them dicks and sometimes people can do things that make you love them. And sometimes those things can be simultaneous. Yes. Um, and we all do crap things to one another occasionally from time to time. Um, and that's that's the, the joy and beauty of the character because we're not meant to view her as a, a victim or a persecutor or as a good guy or a bad guy. We're meant to see them as a story. Yeah, yeah. In a weird way for a movie like this, it's kind of more realistic. Mm. And they're multifaceted in that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a it's not really a super, super happy ending, but it's it's more of a um kind of a it's not. It's not a super bleak ending, but yeah. it's not. It's not a sort of you know driving off into the sunset sort of ending well, either. It's, it's staggering off drunkenly into the sunset. Yeah, well, or into the how how I have started most Sunday mornings. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, isn't it? It's it's a fantasy, but it's a real fantasy for for people like you and me because that is sometimes the sadness of our lives is that our dreams may never come true, but. Uh, we can have these special moments and these feelings of completeness that other people will never have because of our complex lives. 
They're just jealous. <laughs> <laughs> they just want to wake up in a wheelie bin with all. But I think that, and that's what makes it such a special town for queer people because ultimately all of those dreams around us that we that are still programmed into us and the things that we're supposed to want to do they're not our dreams ultimately and we will never be able to fulfill those dreams necessarily speak for yourself so nice and light again then you like you see where i like to take it that's how it works <laughs> no that's perfect I, much like the movie i love the balance of the two. Oh, that's that like you know physically like the movie um uh, you know, it, it, it does that thing where most of the movie is so hyper-colour. Yeah. Like, it is so vivid. Mm. Like, I'm just, like, looking at a little clip now, and it's like, um, you know, just every scene in the in the bar and restaurant is just so vivid. There's every colour imaginable, uh, imaginable um, on screen. And even, like, when it's, a, there's a, like, a bit where they, they're performing at a festival, okay. and, like, it's grim day because they've got umbrellas up and stuff, but yet everything, like, like, the green is so green of the grass. And Hedvig, who, funnily, is very sort of reminiscent of sort of Courtney Act in this look, by the way. So, <laughs> oh, you, yeah. You, like, in the scene where she's on the little stage at the festival, she looks very Courtney Act. Yeah. Like, like, I think she looks very Courtney Love. I, I like both. Yeah. <laughs> Courtney Act in space. Why do you have so many candles? So Cheddar has just loads of empty candles everywhere. Witchcraft. <laughs> Witchcraft, yeah. But now, now I'm intrigued by Courtney acting space. Like, what, what has Courtney not done? Gone to space. There you go. She's, oh, she'll be doing that. Yeah, <laughs> a new reality show. Courtney goes to space. <laughs> hey, I'd, I'd be watching that. Yeah, <laughs> too. she'd probably be the first drag she'll queen in space. Queen. I hope she is. Yeah. Should we, should we make this a formal campaign? Yep, we're going <laughs> to do. A, I don't know. I was going to say a Kickstarter, but it might be a bit too expensive. I'm not sure. <laughs> If we all just, you know, chip in about um, 300 million each, it should be fine. Drag queens in space! They haven't even got trains now, so I don't think they can quite get, you know, people's space. <laughs> can't even get people to London. <laughs> yeah, it's hard enough just getting around the damn country. It's hard enough going from one side of Liverpool to the other, let me tell you. Without them cancelling the train or the train setting on fire. I always forget how big Liverpool is, and the same with Birmingham. It just scares me how big these places are. Really? really? Yeah. Well, I'm from Manchester, where it's like in your head. Like I always thought, it's not that big. I know. Well, when I was little, I used to always be like, you know, um, oh, it's such a big place. And then, like, actually, as I got older, it's like, oh, it's actually tiny. Oh, this is hilarious because to me, Manchester is like gargantuan. Really? <laughs> yeah. It blows my mind. I've only been like three, four times to be honest, but and it's always for drag shows, actually. <laughs> oh, uh, what did you say? Uh, well, let me think. Most recently was for Heels of Hell, Ooh. Where, where I met Courtney Act for, again. <laughs> Oddly enough, we were at that. We went. Yeah. Oh, you were at that. Oh, hang on. Didn't didn't someone do a shout out to you? Well, they're normal. Possibly, possibly somebody. They're not. They're not yeah, right. they usually do do I shout. I think out. someone did. Someone did. I'm going to assume it was Sharon Needles or something. I think it was Sharon Needles. I think she right. might have done. Something I did like about um, about Manchester, though, I left the show and was walking around Manchester dressed as Catwoman, and nobody said a thing. Um, Ted also says this best thing about um, Manchester's one of the only places that you can go to where literally everyone's so sort of like, oh, I've seen it, seen it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be impressed. It's, this, yeah. and it's, it's almost, it's, even if they haven't seen it before, they're determined to show you that they're not impressed. I'm not impressed. <laughs> 
They're not impressing me much. Whatever. I kind of like that, though. It's just like, I just want to go from from the venue to a bar, dressed as Catwoman, and not get any bother. <laughs> like, nobody speak to me. Leave me alone. That's it. Which no is, bother. Which is like the opposite of Hedrick. Yes. Uh, see me bring that back in there, professional. Well, I, I love the way they're wearing what is kind of like an evolution of what a waitress might wear, but it's it's in Hedvig's style. It's in your face. It's it's bold. It's bright. It's shiny. Do you not think it's a bit Soviet? Like Very. The outfit she's wearing no, for Sugar it's Daddy. It's American diner. But there's a twist on it. I would say there's a Soviet twist. The, the color scheme. Like yeah, a stripy right. tie. It's very sort of like collared up. Very, very Chernobyl worker. But, yeah, a bit <laughs> with the hat. No, she's oh no, she is diamond. She's got a hair now on. But yeah. I kind of feel a bit military with the sort of the high collar. For a moment, I thought she had a hat on, but no, it is very. Diamond. And she's also wearing Converse, which is like you know, ultimate. That's another ultimate. Yeah, but, there's um, no, but there's no watsits on the. If it was military, she'd have thingies, epaulets on. Yeah. How does Hedvig make Converse fashion? Because yeah. I, I don't really like them that much. I don't think they're comfortable. But Hedvig makes them look really. They look amazing. She manages to pull off a drag queen in a flat, which is you know, <laughs> to me is like quite a miracle. It's a very hard thing to do. That, that's a risky move. Yeah, it yeah. is a risky move. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So I was saying before about the color, um, mm. the colors of how it is, and how all the flashbacks are in this very blue, like grim blue tone. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like, you know, these are traumatic memories and it's, you know, like looking back on it isn't sort of rose-tinted glasses. It's the opposite. It's, you know, it's grim and bleak looking. Yeah, they talk about that on the on the extras. That was a, a very, very deliberate move to make it look bleak, as you say, and grim. And I, I also think to kind of, you know, not just to illustrate that it's a flashback, but when you think of things from the past, memories are kind of they're not quite right are they they're kind of fuzzy they're strange like if you look out the window of their their little apartment out the window looks weird nothing is in the right perspective and it's because they they literally just like used like a printed out image of a building and stuck it there (laughs) so so it it deliberately looked off i like that it it almost feels like you know it could have even been done you know, in sort of like an animated form, you know, it, it is, like you said, it's and memories aren't clear. They're not, you know, they're not real. You know, memories are just built up images. So I like the idea that, you know, and even like when she's got a head in the oven, that feels so bizarre oh, and such yeah. a, a weird shot. Just this sort of like, you know, um, just like first is a child with a head in the oven with all <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, I don't buy that those uh, those posters are actually in the oven. I think that's just to illustrate what's in their brain, isn't it? Because I don't know. You couldn't cook, could you? Unless the oven's broken. Yeah, that's, I, that's the point, isn't but, it? The oven doesn't work. I also imagine her mum just is actually a very good cookie, but I imagine she because she's not a maternal person. No. So I imagine you know, that's like a, you know a bit of a metaphor of caring is to you know be cooking for somebody and providing. I imagine that. Like, Hedwig wasn't really taking much good care of. No. And, of course, East Germany with a Soviet influence and a mother like that, it's going to be a lot of boiled food, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it, Well, the entire thing is so magically realist, isn't it? You know what I mean? It has that real blend of, which is what the, imag- 
what the memory does, you know, you look back and it mixes with your imagination. And, you know, certain things are emboldened, certain things are, are allowed to, to fall into the background. And that's kind of what the movie does in telling the story, doesn't it? Um, and that's almost the exaggeration of certain elements. That's kind yeah. of what we all do with our lives. I think there's nothing wrong with a little bit of exaggeration, is there? Exactly. You do it deliberately. And some, over time, you start doing it unconsciously, I think. You, you completely misremember events. Yeah. Like, isn't it weird what you actually remember as well? Like, mm. you, you weird. Like, I can remember some one time I went to a park and there was some reindeer there. And, like, <laughs> I just remember that, but I can't remember most of, like, my education and stuff in, like, school. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I'm with you. I've completely blocked out 90% of school. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I've got a terrible memory anyway. So when even like try, when people ask me things and try and like, you know, so things like names and, you know, dates and places, I'm terrible. I need everything written down or, you know. I'm exactly the same. I have to write down everything that happens in the scene that we are covering, for instance, because I'll get sidetracked in my mind and just lose track of where I am. <laughs> I've got the next bit here that the, the stage version always has more lines than we get in the movie. Oh, uh, tell us the stage versions, please. Well, well, the stage one, it, it has the same lines on the soundtrack, weirdly, to, to the movie. They recorded the lines, but they're not in the film. Um, so there's, head. well, uh, Yitzhak impersonates Luther in the song, you see, on the soundtrack version, where they say, you know, oh, baby, something's crossed my mind. I was thinking you'd look so fine in a velvet dress with heels and an ermine stole. And then Hansel says, Oh, Luther, darling, heaven knows, I've never put on women's clothes except for once my mother's camisole. And I really like that. I think that's a really cool little segment. It adds to the story. Yeah, absolutely. And it's playful. And it sets her up as this kind of already a very cisgendered, binary, heteronormative situation, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? Oh, Luther, darling, it's it's Mm. got real... Thing to it she's yeah i like you saying you know, she's a bit cheeky with it as well like she kind of you know it's like oh oh I, I would never wear women's clothes and <laughs> i've i've been like swanning around in a dress for years you know well that was a question i was gonna i was gonna ask both of you do you think hansel well i'll say hansel because it's meant to be in the past is being truthful like uh is is it luther who has maybe sort of uh, given them the idea or are they being completely coy like oh no i wouldn't know anything about that no, i'm a bit on fence about that but in my head it's initially it is that she she you know she was into the flamboyance and you know light you know things like the, the cross-dressing but mm. just never wanted to like have an operation or transition yeah. which is like a very big misconception that still goes on, which is crazy with things like drag, where people just assume that you want to be a woman, um, you know, so, because you do drag. And that's not, you know, that it, it's separating those two factors of, you know, yeah. being a woman or being, um, you know, feminine is kind of two different things. It, it's yeah. I, so difficult to talk about Hedwig in the way that we understand modern trans identity, right? And the way that mm-hmm. people articulate modern trans identity, because at the time that the film was made and the time the film was set, there weren't, there weren't the same discussions and there weren't, wasn't the same language around transness. 
So in some ways, there's a real confusion over whether Hedwig is a, a gay man who was forced to undergo some kind of gender reassignment surgery that would fail gender reassignment surgery, um, or whether Hedwig was um, actively transgender and was on a transgender journey um, or something else in it. And in, in, in some respects, I think it gets, it does get really confused. And in, 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 in some ways, the film is quite dated for the way that it deals with those issues. But in, in other ways, it's never been that important to me because for me, it's never been the story about a gay man or a transgender woman or a drag queen. It's always for me been a story about a rock star. And I think that's that's like more important than all of those things. It's true. It's true. And it's it's about a person, an individual. It's about their journey through life, whatever form that takes. She's kind of like almost beyond gender. She's, you know, like um, yeah, she sings songs about gods and she kind of almost yeah. puts herself in the category of being a god. You know, like, does she see herself like that? Does Ooh. he see herself as some sort of like god? What makes you say that? Um, or does she call herself a god? She doesn't call herself a god, but I'm saying, does she? Does she see herself like that? Because you know the way that she's acts and stuff. Does she see herself as this like almost spiritual thing that's above everything, and that she like she, she's that rock star? Well, I think she definitely, as you said, transcends gender at least by the end of the movie in a way, because they, you know, they kind of reemerge. They're reborn into the world as a They've, they've changed. Uh, where are they going to go from here? Everything's different now. And then when you find out what John Cameron Mitchell's doing at the moment with the character, it's like, oh, they have actually sort of gone back to the, the rock star Hedvig character. That's who they are portraying. But, they're you know, within, they've found peace. They've made themselves whole. So they can still go out there and do that. They can dress like this. They can, they can do whatever they like now. They're free. What exactly is he doing with that character now? Because like, I've seen that he's like back on tour and stuff. But Yeah, yeah. And it's meant to basically just be, yeah, Hed- Hedvig has come back to do a, an anniversary tour, you know, and uh, the, he's like updated the character, fills in a little bit of the intervening years. He's even given Hedvig grey hair, which I thought is in- really cool. <laughs> is this also, though, his way of kind of being a bit meta with like the idea of everything's a comeback, everything's being regurgitated? Oh, yeah. He- is he almost just kind of going like, you know what, I'm going to like take that and parody it? There is a little bit of that in there, definitely. This is what this is exactly what Hedwig would be doing. Maybe he's just cashing in. <laughs> That's fair enough too. <laughs> yeah, she totally is. Like, I'm sure I listened to a podcast where he was talking about he needed to pay for something to do with his, with his mm. parent maybe or something like that. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, which, you know, you can't blame him. Like, just because like he's made a success, like semi, <laughs> a cultural film, doesn't mean that he's financially Absolutely. like we want to pay for it he wants our money yeah let's do it exactly mm. exactly i'd never fault anyone for that because it's done tastefully as well it's not like let's make a really crappy sequel movie or something yeah it's it's almost like kind of going like if hedvig was like you know a, as, as a real person if she would be here she would be going like i'm going to do a comeback tour that's like, you know, it's it's what I need to do because everyone, you know, it's the right time. The internet's here now, so people are discovering my YouTube videos. Rag. Yeah, yeah, rag is becoming like a big thing. She would cash in on it. Do you think she'd still be alive if she was real? Yeah, because she's not like crazy drunk or anything. She's quite crazy drunk. <laughs> I think by the end she might have come around on that though and changed and maybe would calm, calm down a little. 
Hedvig now would be uh, a, a non-binary uh, gender studies teacher at a uh, college. And that's 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 in the story, isn't it? You know, in some mm. like when when um, he describes being kicked out of college, or she describes being kicked out of college mm. when they were a younger man, um, instead of a, a girly boy or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. it, was, uh, it was the mid late eighties. I was in my early late twenties. <laughs> I just uh, I can't remember the the university. Um, um, I just delivered a speech about the aggressive influence of German philosophy on rock and roll, entitled "You Can't Always Get What You Want." <laughs> <laughs> it's a masterful line. <laughs> so good, but like that level of intellectual to it as well that's a great use of the word in it that intellectual level is really there yeah yeah Hed- hedwig slash hansel they really at all stages of their life really seem to understand philosophy and uh, yeah. academics and things they're very they're very well read and learned mythology you know all the historical stuff that they pull into the, the songs but they they do end up uh unknowns to them making a, a bad decision because it cuts then to obviously the past after the song and we see Hansel saying that Luther has proposed and they're planning to, to leave with him, if possible. But then the, Hansel slaps a, a cheap wig on and laughs, which I, I always thought maybe in their mind it's to sort of say, like, ah, we, we know this probably won't happen. It's a bit of a dream, a fantasy. Yeah, it's, it's at that point, it's kind of like you said, it's a naff wig and <laughs> it's this sort of thing of, like, it's not a serious, you know, thing for them. You know, it's kind of like, oh, you know, look, we're gonna, we're gonna like skip off, and we're gonna like, you know, like, oh, we're gonna have this American dream and skip off into the sunset. It'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, but then, but then, but then, reality comes crashing down as like her mum and Luther like inform her that, like, yeah, you're gonna have to be mutilated to go, and like the facial expression automatically changes. She's like, oh. Oh, and then like cuts to the the doctor. She's like, I know the doctor, and then cuts yeah. to a scream. Yeah, that's not just a scream of physical pain, is it? That's, yeah. that's gu- really deep, guttural, guttural. Yeah. Um, it's like the doctor holding a saw or something. I feel like yeah, they make it look really nightmarish again, which that dreamlike state that it's sort of over the top and you know exaggerated. Yeah, because he's grinning, and and the you know the. Uh... I was going to say Hedvig, that'd be getting confusing. Their mother, I'll just say, because they have the same name. <laughs> Their mother and Luther are also, you know, they're looking happy and smiling and they're taking a photograph like, oh, this is lovely. What a great moment. But in a weird way, that makes it creepier. That makes it more upsetting. Well, you're seeing as well, I think you're looking back with uh, Hedwig's understanding yeah. or Hedwig's, you're looking back at uh, with, with Hedwig's feelings of betrayal. Right, so you're almost seeing an overly fantasized version of them as the attackers and as the people yeah. who've done something horrible to her. So we always do see it through Hedwig's eyes, which is another thing to consider, isn't it? Because we we become sympathetic to Hedwig because we we're, we're hearing her tell the story. Mm. Um, yeah, who, who knows? Luther might not have been quite as bad as he's made out to be. <laughs> we don't know, and and the mum similarly. The mum may have had very different motivations and. Uh, may have objected or we, we just don't know because we're seeing it told in that way yeah which is which is where I mean, we have to question how reliable a narrator Edwig is well especially because they're so and I don't mean this as a, a diss to them but they're so bitter about everything it's alright I won't tell her <laughs> <laughs> don't tell Hedwig yeah 
Oh, who knows what she'll do? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Whacked around the head with a bra. To be honest, when, when they are Hedvig, the character they've created, the rock star they've come up with, I would not mess with her. No, she's badass. Like, just that opening shot with the, like, the big Berlin Wall wings is oh. so, like, poof, like, it just it literally bursts. She bursts onto screen almost. Yeah. And then the, the time they scare me the most, but I also kind of like it, is when they, uh, they interrupt, well, try to interrupt Tommy's CD signing. Uh, you know, he's at the music store and they march in. It's like, oh, whoa, this is this is terrifying. We're on the list. <laughs> Justin. <laughs> I could That's have your job. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she She's fabulous. Wonderful. Like, she is brilliant, isn't she? I absolutely adore her. What is she from? She's from something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, I oh, hang on. I have I have the notes here because I went through them. Big big fat Greek wedding. She is in that, I think. Yes. Let me uh, get my notes back from when I covered it. Uh, I believe so. I think Philistine is the one that has the line in my big fat Greek Greek wedding. That's really hard to say. Uh, um, she, she goes. Um, she goes. What do you mean vegetarian? Okay, I cook chicken. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Like I cook chicken or I cook goat or something. You know, it's like <laughs> some something that's just like that's no, that's not vegetarian. <laughs> she's she's in yeah, my big fat Greek wedding, my big fat Greek wedding two, uh, which I haven't seen. I've seen the first one, uh, the oh, Black Christmas, the original movie there, uh, the Rugrats movie. Ah, <laughs> oh, brilliant! <laughs> yeah, that, that classic, and she has appeared on lots of. Uh, in lots of Broadway shows, including Oklahoma, Young Frankenstein, and Fiddler on the Roof. Right. Young, in Young Frankenstein, she... Sorry, this is very just off-topic, but it's one of my <laughs> things. Um, she performs um, He Was My Boyfriend, which ah. is a song that I do, and it's fabulous. Oh, well, there you go. He Was My Boyfriend. But yeah, I knew I had an affinity with Philistine. Ah, there you are. Subconsciously, you were drawn. Everything's connected. And it took me so long to get the joke as well, which is, I know, it's (laughs) such such a shameful thing that it took me until about at least the, like, sick viewing. Don't worry, it took me, it took me even longer. But it's it's because it's never really done in a, like, maybe... Yeah, she never really does it in a sort of a way that, like, you know, kind of, like, has a... Yeah, she's not winking at you. Yeah, it's not, like, sort of, like... Do you get it? Do you get the joke? It's she, just the she places the emphasis on Stein to make it sound important. Yeah. So it just she's she's it's not a joke name for her. Yeah. That's just her name. Yeah. Just, well, yeah, I've always, I've always wondered when I did figure it out. Like, is is that her character's real name, or is it some kind of weird punk rock name that Hedvig's given them? She's got a real air of. Um, do you know Saul Goodman? Yes, yes. No, the the TV series, Critical Soul, uh, Saul Goodman. I, I kind of think a bit more like Estelle from Friends. Oh, Charlie, it's Estelle. I've got a great job for you. <laughs> I love that accent. That's one of my favourite voices in the world. I don't know whether I was giving a, a, a true-to-form accent. But... It was good. It was pretty good. <laughs> Although my favourite accent ever has always been uh, Janine from Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Uh, what do you want? <laughs> wow. I could see her travelling around with them. I, In fact, in the second movie, she's got a kind of a drag thing going on, I think, with her whole look. Yeah. I can't remember. It's been so long since I've 
watch. She looks amazing in the second one. This, she's got a fantastic green dress on and massive, massive glasses and red hair in like a, an odd sort of, almost like a bob. Ooh, um, like because do you find that like the film doesn't really have a weird age to it? Like in the sense of like I kind of didn't wasn't sure where it was placed. Yeah, we, mm. we talked. Did about we talk that. about that? Did, yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Where did you think it might be placed? Don't, I don't know. I, I, no, I just couldn't know. Not no, I mean time. Yeah. Like all oh, right. Yeah. We I, about that. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> 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 then just slip that comment like in the other part. Where's it in relation to uh, the restaurant? How the restaurant? Oh yeah. Time and space. Oh yeah. Um, mm. You can't really. It's still. You, you could you could put it in the early noughties. Yeah. And or in the late noughties, and it would still make sense. Yeah. 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 We're getting to a time now where it's quite difficult though because the you know a lot of younger people probably barely know anything about the Berlin Wall. Yeah. Yeah. I was I had to proper like my some most of my knowledge of Berlin Wall and the Berlin situation is from this film. It's kind yeah. of like, um, it's kind of like a bit of my knowledge and then like um you know, I kind of had to like research it a bit before I went to Berlin because I, I just didn't understand the situation of how, like, the whole Berlin, how how was it formed? Because I knew there was a wall and I knew that you had East and West and you know, once I was, um, you know, communist and stuff, but I didn't understand how it came about. And, like, you know, obviously, with it being a post war thing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a, like, a weird subject because it's so recent history. With you know the war, like the war technically, like it came down in the eighties, eighty nine. So yeah, that's yeah. three years before I was born. So that's quite recent history. As I'm very young, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm maintaining. You get the feeling, I think, that it's set about ten years after that, right? The actual movie Hedwig. That's what that was the impression I got. It was set about ten years after the war. It must be about then, yeah, because the play, you know. I think the plays usually sort of set if they give a time up until the the Broadway version was mid to late nineties. Yeah, yeah, which would make sense. Nineteen ninety nine is kind of mm-hmm. where I would have placed it. Ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah, it's, it's definitely pre millennial. Well, that's what I find a bit weird about the Broadway one, though. It's the same story, but it's set now. Oh, because, okay. well, not now. It's it's set a few years ago, obviously, because it's been it's been a little while since it did come back. Yeah. But there's a, there's a whole section in the Broadway version that they've added, making fun of the movie The Hurt Locker. Ah, cute. Ah, oh, bizarre. But they can get like, they can get away with it because it does exist kind of outside of time. Yeah. Well, that was what John Cameron Mitchell said. He's like, yeah, doesn't matter. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. Is it like sort of nostalgia? Nostalgia, and, and we yeah. kind of like we still don't actually consider like the 90s and 80s being that long ago the the the, the big barrier actually i say it's set out of time there is a huge narrative element which is hugely anchored in time which is the fact that you have to have hedwig leave the soviet union before the collapse of the soviet union and so her age can only if you that person now would be the age that you know if if you were to set it now a person who experienced the soviet union would be in their 50s yeah, 60s, right? That, to me, is the real crucial point. Once you start making it like a different age on the character, it kind of falls apart unless you just accept, well, it's a play, it's a movie, it's fantasy. It's yeah. fine. Whatever. 
we can do whatever we want that, which I is think, cool yeah. I think like you know it does stay with that nostalgia thing of like you know how a lot of modern culture now it is built upon nostalgia and it's built upon you know even music and film and stuff is just so built up around being you know either 80s style or you know 90s like the 90s is now having a comeback which to me is just bizarre because i'm like it's weird (laughs) how is the 90s having a comeback that only happened last week you know (laughs) well it's actually evident in um the netflix show uh what's it called sex education yeah because that is sort of you can't tell when it's set or where it's set it looks like america but it's meant to be england it's like, such a bizarre. I like, didn't like this latest series. I I really struggled through that that mm. show just because it, I I couldn't get past the visualness of it and the styling of like jocks and lockers and stuff. Yeah, that like why bother setting it in England if you're just going to Americanize yeah. it? I find this really weird sort of clashing of like merge merging of culture, which you know, not to say that your know, culture should be kept separate. Or anything, but there's this weird sort of thing of like you don't know where you are anymore. You kind of, yes. you kind of feel a bit lost. Sound like a granny. I already. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was watching the televisuals of sex educations, and I was very, very upset to see. We've been saying the same thing for many years, though. I felt yeah. the same way about Gothic architecture during the Victorian period when yeah. they brought that back. Yeah. I mean, come on, move yeah. on, folks. Do something yeah. new. Start recycling. <laughs> Come on, be inventive. Yeah, try something new. <laughs> Western storytelling's dead. That's what they say. <laughs> well, this also has to be set in a time where you can just change someone's passport picture, and that's perfectly acceptable. Oh yeah, because yeah. you would not get away with that now. Let's just cut out a picture. Yeah, yeah that would work. <laughs> Imagine the trouble you'd get into at the airport. They would know within seconds. <laughs> I would just love the idea of somebody doing that, though, just going up and there's the officers just looking at him like, really? Like, sellotape down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's me. Those were the days, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, uh, it intrigued me as well. I couldn't find any info on it. But when they say that, uh, you know, Luther says, I'm going to have to marry you here in, in East Berlin, which means a full physical examination. And I thought, well, was that a thing back then that was normal? Or was it an East German thing? I, I did research and couldn't locate anything. Because that seems odd to me. Why would you physically examine someone? It might just be a bit of a, like, you know, to fill in a plot hole, really. Could just, you know, be a divisive that was just added, like, as in he needs a, needed a reason yeah. to... Maybe. Something about crossing borders, about physical examination and crossing borders, that if you were from... The East going into the West, you had to have a physical examination, where if you were West going into East, you didn't. I don't know. Was well, that maybe to do with, like, um, physical and sense of check you haven't got any diseases and stuff? Maybe. Or Yeah, that's all I could think, yeah. yeah. And, and in this current climate, it feels it feel very, um, very prevalent. Oh, yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. What with uh, all the disaster going on right now around the world? I just, you know, it's not the one thing I expected to um, get into this, but... <laughs> <laughs> the conversation goes where the conversation goes yeah. it's where the stars have directed us you can't really avoid it right now exactly yeah. trying to dodge it <laughs> <laughs> there is one thing as well I found uh, as almost as unsettling as you with the gummy bear in the mouth was Luther talking to Hansel while feeding them jelly slash jello for my American listeners just the way he's shoving it into their gob 
Mm. That was weird. I don't like people feeding other people, especially in front of their own mother. Yeah, a bit force feeding. It felt a little, um, a little intimate. And well, it juvenalizes, and like, and the jelly is the thing that you you serve to to toddlers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In that way, toddlers. You know what I mean? Here comes the airplane. You know, it's it's all of that kind of weird dynamic. It's the sugar daddy dynamic. It is that weird, strange pseudo parenting creepiness. Yeah, they've sort of took it to the next level and made it literal and in your face, haven't they? Because even the way Hansel eats it, they look kind of, yeah, like a little kid all happy with their jelly. Like, mmm, that was good. Do you generally have a problem with eating people, though? Uh, people have problems. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have problems eating people, Av? I mean, eating out with people. Oh, uh, well, you know... <laughs> I daren't say. <laughs> We've got very strange customs. <laughs> How do you feel about cannibalism? Yeah. Just out of curiosity. No, asking for a friend. <laughs> this podcast endorses cannibalism, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Endorse cannibalism. <laughs> Bring back the wall. <laughs> it's very admiring to be friendly anyway. Well, I don't think it could make uh, the current climate any worse, you know, in politically and whatnot. Just turn to cannibalism. It's fine. Good for climate change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might help matters. There we go. There yeah. we go. We can start with eating the government and the rich. And uh... well, we produce less methane than cows. That's what you have to think. Who is it that eat the rich? I'm sure, it's uh, like something that has there's a reference. Uh, that me, punk reference, isn't it? Yeah. Eat the rich, isn't it? Like the Sex Pistols one. Might be. I don't think they put anything out with that on at the time. Uh, there's a song by Aerosmith called "Eat the Rich." There we go. Oh, and there's also a movie. 1987 movie. Eat them all, they're a salad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a, that's a personal joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it ties into the movie, though. Hedvig talks about, you know, making a nice salad after the show later on. Please, please, Chad, do for me um, the Soko. Oh, it's my favourite line. Yeah. This is our favourite line to recreate. Some Ooh. bitch asked me on the way in here, what Poor creature had to die so that you could wear that. My aunt Trudy, I replied, walked away, Liz. <laughs> That's one of my favourite bits of the whole film. Yeah. You were like the yeah. That and is such a good joke. Turn around with like the, the like the completely <laughs> purposely dumb like paint splat on the back. I want to make a replica of that. Yeah, it's very doable. It is, but you you overestimate my ability. I'm sure you can put some paint on a coat, you know. Uh, 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 I can barely do... I can barely function as a human being, let alone do that. Um, accompanying this um, podcast with an image of just a completely ruined coat. <laughs> <laughs> just torn to shreds. I'm going to have to now. I feel obliged to do it. Do yeah. <laughs> it. Um, so they say, as we brought up earlier, you know, to walk away, you've got to leave something behind. And... Uh, Mrs. Schmidt says, you know, I've always thought so, Luther. And it, it always intrigued me. Like, what does she really mean by by that? Like, does she, is she saying that she trusts Luther in general? Um, is she saying maybe he's been really good for the two of them so far? You know, like very responsible and honest. I've always like, believed in you almost. Or Something else going on there, though, isn't there? In respect of the, the, the pact between them is so mm. peculiar and so malicious and so disregarding of, the welfare of this person that both of them are supposed to love. Like, yeah. it's, it's almost cult-like in the way that they do that. 
and the way that they come to the same conclusion without actually knowing what you yeah without actually saying it out loud yeah because i don't think i don't get the impression they've talked about this before behind closed doors without hansel there yeah Mm. to be free one must give up a little part of but does she mean even mean physically she is she talking like you know just in general like i'd say she she means like physically but in the grand scheme of things it, it's something bigger than that. Mm. Well, not for her, is it? It's not her that she, you know, for, for the original no. Hedwig, if you know what I mean, for the mum, she didn't have to give up something physically of herself that we know of. What is it that she gave up? What was the part of herself that she had to gain, give up? Although she hasn't, actually, because she doesn't see herself as free, maybe. Or, um, or is it that she basically says it because she knows that Hedwig is, is, was never going to be, you know, your everyday standard person she kind of she knew from ah. and being a child going like i always knew there's some you're gonna have to like sacrifice something to become the person to you know it, 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 whether she you know she's always she's never really she's never really has forms of relationship with hansel like does she yeah. you know, she's very distant with them and she kind of she sees them being a dreamer and you know, wanting to be this, almost be this other person. And does she just automatically kind of go like, we don't have that connection. Like, I don't see you. You're not the person that fits in with this life that I live. Like, does she Mm. go like, I see you as being that, you know, you're going to have to just kind of go. But it's almost the first moment where you actually see the mum take interest. Or is it interest because she's like, oh, actually I can get rid of him. Oh well, see, I've I've always um, thought otherwise, but you're not the first person to bring that up on the show. When I had uh, Mimi, I'm first on. That was what they thought. They were like, "Oh, the mum is just trying to get rid of them because, as fast as she can." Like, "Oh, this is my chance." Yeah, she's like, "Here's my passport." Here's like, "Take this." Or is she being? Or is this her one time to be caring? I think that she hates Hansel because Hansel is a man, mm. and I get this feeling that there's just uh, it's strange because she doesn't hate Luther in the same way. But I feel that that weird relationship she's having with Hansel, it's almost like she she not only accepts Hansel as a woman, she encourages Hansel to transition. And in a way, that's the way that she starts to love Hansel mm. is when Hansel becomes like her, a woman. Ah. Well, literally becomes like her, takes her name. Takes her name. Mm. Um, and I just, it's the only time you see the mum Care. Give affection yeah. towards because she she must deep down have some care for head you know head because you know she sends her a postcard like why yeah, would she after, when she's yeah. already transitioned do you think that's because of the uh, the husband well partner slash father of of uh, Hedvig there is it because of what he did she kind of can't stand to to look at Hansel does she have a bit of a jealousy against oh, yeah, Hansel because you know. Um, her, you know, her husband's like affection went towards Hansel and not her. They went mm. out. The uh, American GI was an American GI who is Hansel's father. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's, that's the other thing about Sugar Daddy as well is that Hansel's dad was an American GI. Okay, he's well, an American well, GI. Yeah, Hansel's dad then. Daddy issues galore there. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that because she's you know she's like kind of like why did he. Why did he want to lay with you and not with me? Because, you know, we were in in the way that he, um, you know, he re- reflects on, you know, um, 
origin of love and you know the jigsaw pieces that are forced together you know even that thing of like you know we we don't like me and my mom don't fit together um me and my father didn't fit together like it was meant to be the father and the mother were meant to fit together but yeah didn't so is that that Ooh. Ooh. Ah, metaphorics. <laughs> it's too deep, damn it. It's too deep. No, I'm weird, shallow. The weird giving the weird giving and receiving of love and the transactional way that that works for everybody in the film. You know what I mean? For what well, for everyone surrounding Hedwig. It really is mm-hmm. uh, kind of a recurring theme in it, isn't it? But that that is a a moment where you see their relationship change and it, it moves beyond it's like it was a plan all along. Yeah. But I don't think it was about the mum getting rid of Hedwig. I think it was about the mum finding a way to love them or something like that. Mm. Ah. It's, it's, it's very, it's very grey. It's a very grey area. And it's, I quite like, um, like, John Cameron Mitchell for doing it like that, that he didn't, he doesn't just lay everything out so black and white, everything, you know, and, you know, being able to talk about it in this way is that, you know, everything's a bit sort of vague and you kind of don't really have a hundred percent. Yeah. There's extremes, but then there's so much leeway in between. Yeah. No, everyone's kind of multifaceted as well. Like you don't end up hating most of the characters. I don't yeah. think. like even Tommy, you kind of at the end, it's like even Hedvig accepts them. He's like, okay, okay. okay. Child. Tommy, you do you. We'll go our separate ways in peace. Even though all the characters are so over the top, nobody's really a caricature in the sense that nobody's one, you know, everyone, like I said, everyone's multifaceted. Everyone has, you know, light and dark and, you know, like the characters aren't just sort of bad or good. They all have, everyone's very vague in who Luther's kind of a caricature. Luther is, but that's a memory. So he, that's mm-hmm. the only, that's the only time that you see that sort yeah. of like, character created and, and the way that she, when she talks about um tommy in the past tense he becomes a bit of a character chore but then yeah. when it's the scenes where it's not her describing it then it becomes a bit more vague mm, i like that but the broadway script uh, again here has another bit in it that i i don't know if i like this or not it's funny but i'm not sure if it fits the scene and what's going on because it has hedvig saying that it wasn't a traditional wedding. They say that when Luther popped the question, I was on my knees. So that just seems that it's funny, but it's also, I don't know, I'm not getting that vibe from Luther. It doesn't seem purely f- like physical in that way. The implication is a blowjob. He seems here to want to actually take them away with him. I, again, I don't think it's a plan, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, take them and then ditch them. I think it was a plan, but I also think that Luther's interest, whether it was conscious or unconscious, probably had a lot to do with sex domination and power, mm. right? Surely that's what it's implying, though, with, you know, it being like the question was popped in sort of almost like an inappropriate time. Like, it just, it wasn't a romantic thing. Ah, that's a good way of looking at it, actually, yeah. It's not like exactly like a story like, oh, we went to the Eiffel Tower and he popped the question. It's like, I was on my knees and he just went, Shall we get itched? You know, it's, but, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> and a bit sort of like, you know, you know, almost like as well in sort of like a question asked in sort of the heat of the moment and the sort of like, you know, in the sort of a heat of passion sort of thing rather than being a romantic. It kind of really makes it sort of just like I said, another transactional thing of going like, 
it's not a lovey-dovey thing. Right, you've instantly changed my mind on it. Well, not changed my mind. You've solidified that I do actually like it because I didn't think of it that way in that it is, it's, it's passion almost. It's, it's the heat of the moment. It's, um, it's quite yeah, visceral, I suppose. It's yeah. embracing that in the moment going for it like just almost blurting it out maybe <laughs> I don't know. yeah yeah just you just kind of go like oh and <laughs> i don't yeah, i think i don't think mean things even if, even if they end badly or even if the person's interests are not honorable i don't think it's always conscious right mm, yeah yeah sometimes you just get caught up in a story and that story might be this is the woman that i love and i want to spend the rest of my life with them you know and i think i think that sums up luther like Okay, he might end up being a dick, but I don't think he set out to be. He screws him over, which is horrible, but, you know. I don't think he set out to be a dick, but I think he was always going to be one. <laughs> yes, it's his trajectory. Yeah. <laughs> his script. <laughs> now, uh, just before we wrap up, I also do a, a small little section I called Ostalgie where I talk about uh, East German nostalgia, because that's the word they have for looking back at the past, because they look back at it quite fondly in some ways. They miss certain things about it. So I, I basically just look at a little random bit of history that fits with the episode. So I decided to look at people moving from East to West, because Berlin became the main route East Germans left for the West, eventually, basically, because the whole of uh, East Germany as a, as a country it sort of went on, on lockdown in 57. It reduced the number of refugees leaving, but you could still leave from Berlin. You could go from east to west, like on the train. It's a really bizarre like whole scenario because the whole country got split up, didn't it? It got split into, was it three or four? The country was in two, but Berlin was in like four. Because yeah, you have you know, the French, the American, the UK, and um, Russia. Well, the Soviet Union um, all had a bit of a, you know, a stake in it. it was uh, yeah, yeah. So you ended, you what you ended up with is a uh, a, a tiny East Berlin, uh, East German bubble within mm-hmm. West Germany, which yeah. was East. Is that the way around? No, it no, no, it's the other way around. West and East. It's the other way. Yeah, that, yeah. That was the way it worked. Yeah. So you had this little bubble, didn't you, of West within? Mm. Which I still don't Germany. understand. How how did they like? They used to do airdrops. I just don't every day. I just don't understand how you can control a space like that. Like well, you couldn't ultimately. I think is the problem. Yeah. And how it just <laughs> they tried. Hell. but um, yeah, people would go from the eastern section of Berlin. They could get to the western section originally. Yeah, uh, obviously they they ended up locking this down again. But then you could do it on the train. Yeah, that was the loophole. You couldn't go any other way. And then from there, people in the West could help smuggle you anywhere else. So it ended up that 20% of the East German population did that. <laughs> it was 3.5 million of them left by 1961. And of course, they then build the wall to stop all of this and also a new subway system. It makes sense that Berlin's the only way out because actually when you have a functional city that's, that's separated but obviously still has to be integrated in terms of uh, utilities, traffic, ordinances, all these kind of weird different things. And then obviously yeah. the, the different economies happening there, the way that different things are staffed, the way that people will they'll have to be some freedom of movement uh, in order to just practically make a city work when it's that close in proximity with one another, then it makes sense that that's the only way in and out, right? 
there's no way it could have it could have functioned. I don't think. I mean, obviously, in hindsight, we we can look back and go, well, of course, but I just don't understand. I mean, it got created sort of by accident and just snowballed from there. I think. I feel like it's like a film. Like it's almost like this. It just you just can't imagine it. Like I can't just imagine like, there being a big wall up, you know. Up Market Street in Manchester, and be like, right, you can only stay on one side. I'm like, what? How, how? How would that work? You know, how are these two two completely different worlds so close to each other? And like, yeah. you know, also like, you know, you could literally have been in, you know, there's. I watched a, a documentary on it where this woman was like, she'd literally been a, away for the night or something, and ended up getting, and she got stuck on the wrong side hmm. of the wall because they put... Oh, yeah, because it went up overnight. Yeah. yeah, they literally just, like, overnight put up a wall. <laughs> Obviously, it wasn't a physical wall at the time. It was just barbed wire and, like, people with guns. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it metaphorically, you know, it, the wall was then made. So it's, like, how people people's lives were just completely just like, yeah, you're stuck here now. That's it. You have to stay here. And kind of, sadly, as we're going to see, upcoming... Hedvig may escape one uh, wall, keeping them trapped, but they, they kind of end up hitting more on the way. <laughs> All the walls. <laughs> All the walls. They have to break through many walls in order to uh, become their, their true selves, to blossom as a butterfly. <laughs> but they uh, Can they do it? You'll have to tune in or watch the movie, whatever. <laughs> I, I'd probably recommend that first and then <laughs> come back. Yeah, I love the idea that there are people who are tuning into this podcast who haven't seen the movie, and actually they're kind of they're literally watching the movie in a very figurative, slow form way by listening yeah. to people describe each of the numbers in great depth. Oh well, if you want me to blow your mind even more, right, I have another show where we we talk because we're big nerds about Batman. Oh, uh, that- one one minute at a time. So we watch a minute of the movie, <laughs> not a chapter, a minute. The original movie, the Michael Keaton movie. Well, we start with that one, and then we're going through the, the sort of first four of those, yeah. Like, so the two Keaton ones, then the Val Kilmer, then the George Clooney, sadly. Which uh, <laughs> you two? Which one are you in now? We are on Batman Forever with Val Kilmer. What? Amazing. Yeah, yeah. We've been doing it for like three years. Um, and some people don't watch the film. What? <laughs> oh, my God. They just listen to the show. And, you know, each season's like 130 episodes or something. So funny. That's crazy. It's out three days a week. <laughs> so oh, my God. Funny. You'll have to let me know when you get on to the uh, Michelle Five for one. Oh, we've done it. Oh, damn it. Oh. 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 Actually, when I went to Heels of Hell as Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, and I went to meet Alaska, they were in love with the costume. And Alaska said, like, she is the reason I do drag. Uh-huh. And I was like, I can totally get that. That's, that makes perfect sense. And then Alaska insisted on using my whip and ran across the room whipping. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Just in that typical voice, like, can I have a go? Can I have a go on your whip? <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you, um, are you excited about the new one? I am. I wasn't too much initially, but... I'm one of the few people who seems to really, really like the car they've designed for it. Oh, the uh, kind of really retro 80s. Yeah. It looks like a car that a guy has made in his cave. <laughs> like, I just can't... I'm, I'm a little bit stuck in this, like, thing of, like, there's been so many reboots. I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know whether I'm coming or going. 
Like, he's a good actor now, though. He he deliberately wanted to leave behind all of that Twilight stuff. Yeah. And now he does like weird art movies. Well, it's not him that's the problem. It's just that I kind of I'm struggling with just that superhero genre with how how much he's a mess. It's just like it's just yeah. so crazy. To be honest, I am. I only watch like one or two of them now because there's there's too much and I can't follow it all. It's like ah. Batman's separate from it all in my mind. Those those movies are, and yeah. that's why I like them. I don't even think he's a superhero. Oh, I can tell you which film actually that we you can come back to me and make sure that we do a podcast on. Um, I don't know if you do it, but the Lego Batman film. Oh, we are going to do one of my favoriteest Batman films, or actual just films in general. Ah, well, we're going to definitely do it. We might do it minute by minute, or we might just do it as a special for our Patreon show. Do it as a special, because if you've not seen it, it's one of the most magical films I've ever seen, Cheddar. It's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. But now that we're on to my other show, we'll wrap up. (laughs) (laughs) Just to have interest, what is your favourite song in Hedwig? My favourite song? Hmm. Now, this is hard, because I love them all, obviously, for different reasons. I think... I'm going to go with, over the years, I've changed my opinion from Tear Me Down. Mm-hmm. That's gone to my number two. So now my favorite is probably a Wig in a Box, which is surprising. Ooh. I know. I It didn't used to be one of my favorites. It used to be near the bottom with with this one. But I also, I mean, I love the more Exquisite Corpse is wonderful, the way it descends into madness. Yeah. What's your favorite, Cheddar? Uh, Wicked Little Town. Oh, mine's Midnight Radio. Mm. Oh, see, everyone has a favourite, and these are all great. It just it's, it's I think it's because it's that build up at the end, and it just the tone just really turns all of a sudden. I love that. Yeah. Well, we've we've kind of just mentioned a little trio there because I mm. I brought up Exquisite Corpse, and then we've we've got Wicked Little Town, which has a, a reprise, and then of course uh, Midnight Radio. That tells a little story in itself. It does. That's the kind of final end uh, of exception, isn't it? Yeah. We're going to have to have another look through and see if all of these songs are in little triptychs. Um, I think it's quite interesting that you don't really see or hear much of Tommy performing in the movie. There's only the Wicked Little Town at the end. I quite like that. I quite like that um, almost we kind of see he's kind of kept a bit distant because it's that yeah. sort of thing of she can't get to him. Like yeah. my favorite yeah. bit is when she opens the um, fire exit door and it's just the scream and the light beaming through, and which I've seen in the stage version actually I think is a bit more impactful because she yeah. just stands there and she just like, she kind of just takes it in in this sort of like, are you kidding me like the difference in what we're both doing even though she wrote the music and it's it should be her like it's her sort of like really just kind of like going like that should be me on stage not you her bitterness is even worse i feel like it's that sort of thing of latching on to his sort of off cap like you know like his um is you know like people who weren't able to make it to his gig so they end up coming to hers or, you know, um, like, I can almost see her, like, stood on the curbs, touting, like, knockoff merch. You know, that yes. thing. <laughs> like, stuff from when they had, like, a band together. Like, you know. That would be an amazing way of funding the Angry Inch. <laughs> be great. I'm surprised that's, like, something that isn't in there. Like, but it's, like, the stuff from, like, because she says, like, when they were a band together and that they were kind of doing well. 
how we didn't have some like some like t-shirts that you can tell they've been lugging these t-shirts around for years because you know, they've ordered too many and it's and like, they're a bit faded <laughs> yeah really faded and just crumpled not been ironed or anything and she's like still trying to tout them being like look he's on them and but she's also on him like and then people being like who's that <laughs> that's how i would yeah. see it being now that's how i would do it anyway That'd be amazing, though, because, you know, Hedvig points out teenage girls really loved him and stuff, yeah. really loved Tommy. Teenage girls, they've got no money and they want to buy stuff. They'll buy that. Well, the thing is, though, that that's the other thing that makes it not plausible as a story, doesn't it? Because nowadays, everything is on social media. You would have had a record of them singing the songs and recording the songs. Mm-hmm. It'd have been on SoundCloud. Yeah, there'd be no getting away with it. <laughs> Uh, what for the better and for the worse maybe <laughs> we yeah. have, we have evolved so you know as well i just looked up the um the song list and it's tear me down by itself origin of love and then you have that triptych sugar daddy and inch wig in a box and then you have wicked little town by itself in the middle yes and then the long grift's there but that's obviously not really in the movie um yeah sadly and, yeah and then you have uh the hedwig lament exquisite corpse wicked little town and midnight radio all together as one big chunk yeah, I count the the lament and exquisite corpse as the same thing. Yes, yeah, I know technically they're not, but it's the same. So. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember how long Gift goes, but I will listen to long, that separately. Long, <laughs> long, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I remember. No. So, like, what are your histories with the movie? How did you come to it, and and uh, whatnot? No, Ted, Ted is like a um, expert on this film. Expert. I've seen it a lot. You've seen it a lot. Like every time I talk to Cheddar about it, like I feel a bit dumb. Really? Yeah. Like which bits? It's just life in general. <laughs> you think I have a I more nuanced know. grasp? Did I? Did I? Did I introduce it to you or not? Because I know you used to rent them all out at the university yeah. library. Yeah. Um, well, I first I first came by it. I think you, maybe you maybe you mentioned. I'm sure, it. I mentioned it. it was you one probably of my mentioned movies. it to me. And it was in the uni library, no. and I basically just spent most of my time renting out all the weird, like wacky films that I could find in the library. That's my first, and it basically I must have rented it out at least like ten to fourteen times. Like I think I had it out the most. I think they would probably should have just given it to me really yeah. as a leaving present. Um, I um I first saw it probably before you were born. Probably, I'm very trying. young. <laughs> Um, so I mean, it's not quite that old, is it? It's a movie, but um, yeah. definitely, I, mean, I remember two thousand one. Wow! So I probably I probably saw it in two thousand two, two thousand three. Oh, possibly even before me. Then I think I was around two thousand four. You've beat me. And um, it it was a a friend of mine. I went out for a movie night. One of my closest friends, and it was just one of those films. It's like it has that kind of gravitas for me that Rocky Horror has. You know, what I mean, it was. One of those movies that changed, uh, I didn't do drag at the time, but it changed my understanding of drag. It continues to uh, inform how I understand and how I do drag and the meaning that drag has. And yeah, it's just, it has a very special place in my heart. How did you, did you watch on DVD? Yeah. I saw it on VHS originally. How did you watch it? Oh my God, yeah. It was a DVD for me. I, I was introduced to it. At the same time, uh, my friend basically just said, right, you need to watch this and uh, you need to watch this. They really liked John Waters' Cecil B. Demented and they gave me both of those. And we're like, what's these two movies? 
And uh, I liked it so much I ended up, uh, the listeners will be sick of this, I watched it every day for a month one time. Wow. <laughs> I I was having a very uh, slow month, so I was like, I need to jazz this up a little bit. 30 days in a row, bam, bam, bam. Was it a bit like a spiritual sort of um, thing for you to do that? Like, you know, to watch it every day as sort of a, a ritual? Oh, definitely, definitely. I could have kept that going even longer. That could have just been my uh, eternal life's ritual, I think. It was like a, it was like a, you know, out in the desert for how long was Jesus there? Thirty days and nights or something? <laughs> forty, forty days. Forty. 40. See, you can tell I don't know anything about religion. <laughs> I sound it rained, licorice. No, it's forty days because that's how long Lent is. Really? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I come right. from a religious background. <laughs> We're all learning something. They gave you a lot of wine in your household. Doesn't make it religious. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of songs, though, at the end, I like to ask my guests to recommend a song if they'd like to. Uh, I get to pick two because I'm an narcissist dickhead. Uh, so my first one, I'm going to say I'm going to go with the band Devo and their song Freedom of Choice because it's uh, at first it sounds like fun and happy and like, hey, OK, but it's actually... As the name implies, it's actually an anti-capitalist kind of song. So it also fits the theme of, you know, right. East, East Germany and things. Because the, there's a line, you know, freedom of choice is what you got. Freedom from choice is what you want. Right. I liked that. It's almost like too much, which uh, sort of is what the song's about. Hedvig gets a bit overwhelmed with all this, these new things Luther's introducing them to. I can go with that theme. At the moment, I'm listening to Lordy's version of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Oh. <gasps> Wonderful. Which starts with um, Welcome to Your Life, There's No Turning Back, um, and has wonderful bits in it like Help Me Make the Most of Freedom and of Pleasure. Um, but then there's a whole kind of the thing about everybody wanting to rule the world as well, but the idea that everybody wants to be famous and somebody and um, special and have that Ooh. specialness about them. But in doing so, we kind of uh, often end up leaving life behind. That's a really good way of looking at it. I love that. You've, you've made the song even better. <laughs> and for my song, uh, I'm going to go a bit left field from your, your two. And I'm going to go with Liza Minnelli, um, Losing My Mind, because it's the most ridiculous mashup of Liza Minnelli and the Pet Shop Boys, basically. And it's like it's an, like an old show tune, but Liza Minnelli singing it, but with a Pet Shop Boys sort of backing track. It's the most bizarre combination of things either that or i'm gonna sneak in another i know you said one. oh okay go for it but it's either that or it's along the same lines so it's fine um um anything with um dusty springfield and the pet shop boys together you just really love the pet shop boys which is great because yesterday i was talking to someone saying how much i bloody love the pet shop boys <laughs> i'm not the biggest fan but it's it's those i think it's the combination of um, them holding up these like classical D, you know, sort of like fabulous Devery women, you know, like mm. sort of like, yeah, a bit dusty. I even really, really like their song that, like well, their their version of Bowie's song "Hello Space Boy," because there's a there's a different mix where the Pet Shop Boys have done done a remix on it. Brilliant, and it's 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 I think it's better than the original, and Bowie's one of my favorites. <laughs> In fact, I think Bowie liked it more because uh, before he died, he put out a compilation album. Yeah, it's on the compilation album. Yeah, that's the version he chose. It's, it's even on the vinyl release, which has you know, got barely any tracks in comparison to the, the CD one. So he, he must have been into it. 
And uh, my my other choice, my final one, is uh, the song "Sugar" by Bikini Kill, which is a you know a hard punk kind of a kind of a number, a Riot Girl song. Uh, it's it's sweet, sort of sexy, dirty, mocks the patriarchy. It's performative sexuality and things like that. They're pretending to be what a man wants in a sort of mocking tone. And I, I quite like that. It's wonderful. <laughs> so the name fits and also the attitude that Hedvig sort of acquires. Yeah. Well, I'll have to listen to that. I really like it. Some people, some people really don't like it because they... Because the lyrics are so dirty, they're like, "Oh, it's just a sleazy song," and it's like, "No, no, no, you're missing the message here." Oh, was it a bit sleaze? <laughs> Plus, what's wrong with that? <laughs> Probably not. We would never be seen around no. such things, would we? Oh no! <laughs> Heaven knows. <laughs> <laughs> but having said that, yes, we will. Uh, we will drive off down the highway to the next gig, and uh, the next episode. Actually, it's another song. I'm going to be back with chapter nine and can people guess what it is probably probably let's be honest we've i think we've mentioned it already it's angry inch so i'm going to be back next time with angry inch the title song which is the one that some when you introduce this movie to people uh that can really freak them out (laughs) much like the audience are freaked out so it's going to be going to be interesting so See you next time, everybody. And thank you to my wonderful guests. Would you like to plug anything before you leave? Licorice black mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Filthy mouth. No. Um, yeah. Go follow us on the social medias. That's all I've got to plug. Um, go um, go follow me on um, Instagram at licorice underscore black. And on Twitter, it's, it's underscore licorice. Um, but I also, oh, I can plug that. I'm also a costume maker. So if anybody wants any costumes, hit me up on the DMs. Thank I haven't you. got nothing to plug. <laughs> That's all I've got to say. You don't want to be found online. Don't don't look for me. Don't find me. Don't follow me. Um, <laughs> if you could try and forget about this conversation, I'd be very much appreciative. Don't approach her in the street either. Don't approach me in the street. Don't look at me. Don't love me. Um, in fact, if you see me, just spit in my face. <laughs> I like the way neither of you bothered to say, like, we're on the TV. I'm oh, like, yeah, we oh. do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh, if you, if you, you know, if you um, enjoy um, kind of quirky um, um, TV, then go watch our show, Drag SOS, on Channel 4, on there, all four. Um, I think it's on, it's on the web somewhere. You can find it. So, Drag SOS. Well, go and uh, follow Licorice and spit in Cheddar's face, and I will. <laughs> I will see you next time for Chapter Nine, where I'll check out your angry inch. Wow. <clears throat>
Oh, no, 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 no,